Welcome back to Parsha Panorama. This week's Parsha, Vayishlach, finds us where Vayetze left off, and that is Yaakov's trip home from Charon. At the end of Vayetze, he began his trip when he fled the house of Lavan, and now he's finally on his way back into Eretz Yisrael, where he's going to have that fateful, long-awaited showdown with Esav. The two will finally reunite. And that is just one climactic beginning to a crazy all-over-the-place Parsha in Parsha Svayishlach. There's a lot of different stories that take place and a lot of wild stories at that. And before we get to any of them, let us quickly mention that if anybody wants to partner with the Harbatzas Torah that's happening here and send in a sponsorship, so it could be Meister Money, $18, say, just reach out to thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data and then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com. And you can be the cause of continued Torah. Okay, now going into Parshas Vayishlach. So we mentioned that Vayetze was its own unit because it just represents Yaakov building the family of Klai Yisrael. And that is indeed what Yaakov does. And we went into how Yaakov married four different women, for all the different shot, different reasons that that happened, and of course the meta reasons that that happened. Um, in the building of Kalal Yisrael, that was why Yaakov went down in the first place. That was his agenda. Obviously, there was the other aspect of it, that he was running away from Esav. What we're going to see is those two different reasons that Yaakov left home, right? The Vayetze Yaakov Mibbe'er Sheva and Vayelech Harana, those two different reasons, um, they, they come together. Um, and we'll see that unfold in our parsha as well, I think. Um, but it's going to become clear as we move along. But as I mentioned, Vayishlach is very all over the place. And that's because there are a lot of stories. It's um, unclear what the true timeline is with the stories, as many stories throughout Chumash are like that. But we have all, we have all these stories. And we mentioned again is that just going all the way back to the beginning, Hashem created the world. The whole goal was to, to bestow the ultimate good. And then Hashem had to narrow it down when, when generations were failing. Hashem focused on just one person, Avraham, who was going to be both an Avraham Ongoyim, but also have a special seed to carry on his, um, his legacy. And not just carry on the legacy, but to be the next you know, father of the multitude of nations that through which the, the entire world can be blessed. And so in order to do that, um, it's not enough to, you know, have a son, but that he has to create the next family. But of course, um, even within that, where Yitzchak might have had two different sons, it ended up being narrowed down to just one. And once Yaakov was solidified as the Bechir uh, Tesheba Avos and Beni Bechori Yisrael, right, he was going to be the one, so he would now start that family. And from there, he would just branch out, just have a bunch of kids, because all of these kids are going to be the one nation. And through this nation, not just one person, but through this entire nation, the world can be blessed and, and achieve that, that level that the world needs to, to enjoy the goodness of God. So that's where we are now. And of course, this is the Parsha where Yaakov officially earns the name Yisrael. So that's also another monumental feature of our Parsha. It starts with his uh, battle with the angel, um, whom Chazah identifies the Sar Shal Esav. We spoke about that in Musra minutes. If you want to go back and give that a listen. But in the meantime, um, Esav and Yaakov reuniting 
is really just the beginning of the Parsha, and there's so much more that happens after. And one thing that I mentioned, and I mentioned this in the preview leading up to the Parsha Panorama for this week, only in the WhatsApp group, which you can join too. All you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase.gmail.com, and you can receive updates regularly. I'll add you to the group. Very simple. So in that, in that, in that intro, I pointed out a couple of things. And what I said is as follows. Again, Vayishlach seems to contain many unrelated stories, or at least seemingly unrelated stories, from Yaakov's showdown with Esau, to Dina's capture, to Rachel Menu's death, to the sin of Reuven. And what they all uh, ostensibly have in common is that they are just all trials that Yaakov Benu experienced over the years on his way home. However, what you'll notice is that the Parshas Vayishlach signs off with actually a passage about Esav's progeny, the lineage of Esav. And I think that that conclusively completes the second of two Esav-themed bookends. In other words, the Parsha begins and ends with Esav. Right? It starts with the story of Yaakov reuniting with Esav, and then it ends with the progeny of Esav. And that might suggest that, indeed, all the stories that are in between are really just all one, uh, you know, they're all one unit. They're part, you know, within a larger theme that somehow is in the, again, it's in the bookends of Esav. It's, it's all subsumed within Esav. Now, we have to figure out what that means, right? Why would Esav be the beginning and the end of this Parsha? You might just say that, you know, it's just that we're signing Esav out. Well, you could have signed Esav out earlier. And here's my point. After Yaakov reunites with Esav, so then the Chumash can just, um, uh, you know, once Yaakov and Esav part ways, right then and there, the Chumash could have given us the lineage of Esav. And the Chumash at that point also signs off Yitzchak, even though Chazal tells us Yitzchak wasn't even dead yet. Um, Yitzchak was um, still alive at that point. Even in Vayeshev, Yitzchak is apparently still alive. But it's the way of the Chumash to sign off a character. Um, and, you know, when it's done talking about that individual. And that could have also happened around the time of... Yaakov and Esav's parting. So just before Esav's lineage is listed, we get Esav and Yaakov together burying Yitzchak. That all could have been alone with the Esav story at the beginning of the Parsha. The fact that it's spread out, and then we have Esav at the beginning and Esav in the end, seems to suggest that this is an Esav-oriented Parsha. But again, there's so many different stories that seem to have nothing to do with Esav, like some of the ones that I already mentioned earlier. So we have to figure out what's actually happening here. What I also mentioned is kind of striking is that the trials recorded in Vayishlach are not the end of Yaakov's trials. In fact, they, um, you know, the biggest one has yet to come, the Mechiris Yosef. Now, what's interesting is that the, we, we have an interesting progression where the Chumash mentions the progeny of Yaakov in this week's Parsha after the scene with Ruven and Bilha, which my brother of Daniel and I spoke a lot about in Real Talk Torah. Um, we just uploaded it yesterday about how to understand the story of Reuven and Bilha, a very complicated story which we're not going to elaborate on today. But please, go back and listen to Real Talk Torah. Um, it's called Reuven and Bilha Unadulterated, What Happened? We go through all the Mepharshim and try to explain a seemingly unexplainable story. Um, but again, after that scene, we have the list of Yaakov's children, which is interesting in its own right, why we have a list of Yaakov's children at that point. But, you know, once they're all born, we list them, right, because Binyamin's born in this week's Parsha with when Rachel Menu passes away. So after that, then we have the burial, around that point, we have the burial of Yitzchak, and then we have Esav's progeny. 
because we meet Yaakov's kids and then we meet all of Esav's kids. Next week's Parsha, the Chumash opens up by Yeshev, which says that these are the Toldos um, very early on. It says the Toldos of Yaakov, and then it starts telling us about the story of Mechiris Yosef. That's interesting because... Um, we call it, um, you know, we're, it's something that we have to focus on when, in Parshas Vayeshev, why the Chumash seemingly refers to Yosef as the Toldos Yaakov. We can, uh, we can all, you know, we could venture and understand why that would be. But leaving that to the side, Midrashim talk about the juxtaposition between all the chieftains and, of Avesav and, and Yosef, how Yosef um, can combat all of them. Right, that's really, um, so Rashi talks about quoting a Pasuk from Ovadia, which is actually the Haftarah for this week's Parsha, which is the doom of Esav, right? The entire Haftarah is about Esav's downfall, his eventual downfall. Um, and parenthetically, it's also part of why it worked out really well. The, um, my wife and I named our, our firstborn, who just turned one, we named him Ovadia because he was born in between Vayetze and Vayishlach. So Vayetze quotes, um, um, so we have a Rashi that quotes the Pasuk from Ovadia in this, um, in this week's Haftarah, which, uh, again, talks about how Yosef is the fire, and he was really the flame that's going to burn out the straw house, so to speak, of Esav. Um, it kind of reminds you of the almost a little bit of the the Three Little Pigs story, but a uh, you know, much more fiery version, and no, no wolves. But in, anyway, um, so the, Mid- the Midrash makes connections between Yosef, being the Toldos Yaakov, and Esav. Um, but what's interesting, again, is that we have all these tragedies about Yaakov's family taking place in Vayishlach, and then the biggest one is set aside in its own parsha in, in Vayeshev. So we're going to put Mechiris Yosef on the side now because we didn't get to that Parsha yet. Again, that's next week. But what we see is that there's a separate Parsha from Mechiris Yosef, but all within this big umbrella of an Esav Parsha in Vayishlach, we have, again, a bunch of other tragedies that Yaakov um, experienced. So what we have to try to understand is what, what, where's the line that separates between Mechiris Yosef and the other tragedies? And you might just say that Mechiris Yosef was the greatest tragedy that Yaakov experienced, and that's why it's separate. But then why are all of the other tragedies subsumed under um, Esav? So we'll have to get to that, and, 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 we'll, and what we'll uncover might be very telling about what Parshas Vayishlach is as a whole, what does this do on the larger map of, of, the, of the Torah, of the, of the narrative in Bereshis? And it'll actually be a great segue into next week's Parsha Vayeshev. So we're going to set all the groundwork now. But before we do, let us actually just go through the specific components of the Parsha. Let's get every bit of the Parsha. I have basically eight sections to Parsha Vayishlach. Let's list them. So section number one, we have Yaakov preparing for Esav. So he does this by sending messengers to Esav to let him know that he's coming. You know, that Yaakov has three particular preparations that the Chumash describe and Chazal enumerate. He prepares with prayer, with a tribute for Esav, and the possibility of war. He splits his entire family and entourage into two camps. And, of course, in this story, when they're crossing um, from Mavor Yabok, when they're crossing the river... So, um, in a very strange and hard to understand 
narrative, if you could even call it that. It's barely a narrative. We have a couple of psukim devoted to the story of this Ish, who apparently wrestled with Yaakov Avinu. Now, this is just one of many of the stories here that really requires more fuller elaboration, and we just can't get to it now, but it's an important story. Yaakov obviously has this wrestling match, and the Malach, and again, Chazal tell us that it's the Malach, it's the Tsar of Esav, and in fact, if you're curious to know how we know for sure that it's an angel when the Chumash calls it an Ish, you could just look at the Pasuk in Hosea, which actually describes the story also in, um, in a Hosea, and it calls it a Malach. And also very often in, in Chumash, you'll see that a Malach is referred to as an Ish. But all of that said, Yaakov has this battle, and obviously there's something very spiritually symbolic about this battle. Um, but that's all the introduction, and we know that the Isser of Eden Get Hanasha is based on that story, because the Malach hits Yaakov in his, in, um, in his sciatic nerve, and fine. But that, that's the story of Yaakov preparing. So then number two, we have the actual showdown between Yaakov and Esav. So the tribute is given, there's a lot of bowing, there's embracing, there's kissing, um, and um, Esav actually extends an offer to walk alongside Yaakov. Ultimately, Yaakov says um, that, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you at some point, and they part ways. That is the end, or at least the manifest end of the Ace of Yaakov showdown, or the Yaakov Ace of showdown, and that's where we would expect Ace of to be signed off as a character in the Chumash. Again, we don't get his progeny till the end, so apparently we're not signing off of Esav yet, but that's where the Esav story ends. The next story, Yaakov, um, he purchases land in Shechem, and that's where the story of Shechem capturing and defiling Dina. We know that Shimon and Levi ultimately annihilate Shechem. They have a very crafty and cunning ruse, and Yaakov Avinu is apparently upset with this. Um, obviously, he's also upset about, um, about uh, Dina's capture, but um, he, he does not um, approve of the way Shimon and Levi dealt with the situation, but that's the story of Shechem capturing Dina. Fine. So then the next section, number four, Yaakov travels towards Basel, and there we have the death of Dvora Menekes Rivka, another um, a small hit-and-run story where the Chumash should have told us more, who is this woman, Devorah Meinekes Rivka, why do we need to know about her? Chazal tell us that Rivka also passed away at this point, but for various reasons, the Chumash didn't want to highlight it. It might, it might be disgraceful because people would say, look, she was the one who gave birth to Esav, and that's definitely not great to have at her eulogy, at her husband. So, but for whatever reason, um, and also that Yaakov wasn't able to be there for, for Rivka Imeinu's passing, so, for whatever reason, um, the, we, we, we are introduced to Devari Menekes Rivka at her passing. And, again, this really requires a full, elaborate um, explanation. And I have what to say, and if you want to reach out to me, you know, we can discuss it. I could share some sources with you. Um, but um, that we have this story of Devari Menekes Rivka. Fine. Number five, we have Hashem actually changing Yaakov's name. Even though 
the angel tells Yaakov that his name is going to be changed to Yisrael, we actually have the official name changed by Hashem. And with that, with that name change, we also get the birth of Binyamin. And of course, with the birth of Binyamin comes the death of Rachel Imenu. This is where the curse that Yaakov uttered in last week's parsha for you know, stealing the truffin, um, that, you, that you'll die. So that kicks in now. Once Rachel Imenu's tafket is complete, having both Yosef and Binyamin, she has Binyamin now, she passes away. So again, that's section five. That's the name change, Binyamin's birth, and Rachel Imenu's death. Six, we have the story of Reuven and Bilhah. Yeah, Reuven moving the beds. And that is a, a story, again, that my brother and I spoke about at length. Number seven, we have Yitzchak's burial. And then finally, eight, we have Asaph's lineage. So one more time. Again, number one, we have Yaakov preparing for Asaph. Number two, and the whole story of leading up to the showdown. Number two, we actually have the Yaakov Asaph showdown. Number three, we have the story of Shechem and Dina and Shem and Levi. Number four, we have the story um, at Beis El and the death of Devarim and Yakashrevka. Number five, we have the story of Yaakov's official name change and Binyamin's birth and Rachel Emenu's death. Six, we have the um, the account of Ruvain Bilha. Number seven, we have the burial, I guess the death and burial of Yitzchak, pre-recorded. And then we have number eight, the lineage of Asaph. So that's the entire Parsha. So again, we see that this Parsha is quite all over the place. A lot of unfortunate stories... You might say that it's a series of unfortunate events, but again, they don't all seem directly connected. These are just all a bunch of different things that may have happened around that that time, and these were all terrible things, or they're all largely terrible things that happened to Yaakov Avinu. The best thing that Yaakov Avinu gets here is, I guess, a, a victory in a wrestling match and um, a pretty decent correspondence with Asav. Um and I think that's actually very, very telling. Because you can look at Vayishlach in, in many different ways. If I would ask you, is Vayishlach a good Parsha? Is it a, is it a positive Parsha for Yaakov Avinu? Is it a positive Parsha for Klal Yisrael? And in certain respect, you might say, of course it is. This is where he becomes Yisrael. This is where we become the B'nai Yisrael, essentially. Um, and certainly, if you, look at it from the, if you look at it from the perspective of Yaakov confronting Esav, finally um, burying the hatchet. There's something very um, triumphant and comforting about Parsha's Vayishlach. But again, scattered throughout the Parsha, you have all these tragedies. The Ruven and Bill is a tragedy. Shechem Dino is a tragedy. Um, Devorim and Ekesrivko, who we don't really know much about, but it seems like it's a, it's a pretty sad story. You know, she, she dies, after all. This old woman coming out to greet Yaakov, and she doesn't quite make it. Chazal say that Rivka, or the Mepharshim say that Rivka Yimenu sent her because she said she was going to send someone to get Yaakov, finally sending someone, and then Rivka and, and Devorah both pass away. So it's, a, it's a, a, lot of, a lot of tragic stories happening here. So, and of course, Yitzchak's death. So there, there's a lot going on here. So, considering all of that, what is the is the theme here? We have again on the one hand Yaakov's victories, and then we have the bumps in the road. So what I think again is very telling, is that from what it looks like, you know, Yaakov's biggest um, his biggest anxiety, if we can call it that, his biggest fears going into Parshas Vayishlach, 
is I'm about to meet up with Asif again. Chazal talk about his fears in terms of the possibility of either dying or having to kill others or seeing his family um, in, in harm's way and at risk. So Yaakov has a lot to fight for. And there are even uh, even sources that say that Yaakov was afraid of maybe realigning with Esav. That, you know, what if everything goes well? Maybe that's not the best thing either. Maybe, uh, you know, that'll hurt me spiritually. Anyway, Yaakov has all this this fear going into Vayishlach. Also, Chazal talk about Shema Yigram Chait. Maybe there was some, um, there was some trace of sin in Yaakov's past that might be coming to haunt him. Right, we we said in Muslim minutes um, that that Yaakov um, he survived Lavan and he survived Esav, right? And it's in a certain respect, that he he remained shalem, he remained intact, that his spirituality wasn't hurt. But these were things that were on Yaakov Avinu's mind. But now, when you have all this in mind, going into Parshas Vayishlach, you know, recognizing the great fear and the great anticipation of that reunion with Esav. It's kind of interesting when you consider the battle and war that did not take place. Yes, Yanko fought with some angel, some phantom of some sort, but that, that, that battle was not the battle that we were waiting to see. We were waiting to see Yaakov and Esav go to war. Obviously, we knew the story already, but if you didn't know the story, you were anticipating this big showdown, this big war. And basically what happens, Yaakov and Esav hug it out, and then they part ways. And it seems that in Parshas Vayeshlach, Esav is the least of Yaakov's problems. In fact, for... Yaakov and Esav, this looks like a great Parsha for these two brothers. And then when Yaakov's alone doing his own thing, this is where Yaakov seems to be plagued. All the different bad things that happened to Yaakov seem to not have anything to do with Esav. But, once again, this seems to be the Esav Parsha, because the Parsha begins with Esav, and it apparently ends with Esav. We don't leave Parsha's Vayishlach without that seal at the end that says, oh, and this is Asab's family. So that, that, that's, that, that has to be striking. So what do we do with all of this? So this brings us back to the question of what Vayishlach is about and, wh- and wh- what the line of demarcation is between Vayishlach and next week's Parsha Vayeshev. Yaakov's greatest tragedy at least from the perspective of Yaakov, we could argue that any of these are tragic. Losing, losing um, um, your most precious wife you know, when she's giving birth to the final son. The Ruven and Billa thing would, you know, um, if it's as bad as the Pashup Shah reads, which maybe according to a certain opinion, Chazali can't read it that way, but that's also pretty tragic. We'd all be pretty upset about that. Um, if someone, Chas Shalom had their own daughter defiled the way Dina was, that would be pretty upsetting too. But Yaakov's biggest concern seems to be what happens in next week's Parsha. Not, not, you know, again, not to the exclusion of these other bad things that, that hurt Yaakov, but there's a special place in Yaakov's heart for the pain that he experiences 
um, with Mechiris Yosef um, and not knowing what happened to Yosef. So that's, that, that's set aside. And I think if you hold all of that, um, you know, the, the idea about what Yaakov goes through with, with Yosef's um, sale, that, again, is apparently its own category. And everything else is thrown under this ace of umbrella. And I think that's important because if you, if you look at all the tragedies, or at least most of the tragedies in Vayishlach, they all focus on one side of Yaakov's family. And what do I mean? It's interesting that Yaakov begins our Parsha by saying that he's divided into two camps. Now, I don't know if these are the same two camps, but very clearly in Yaakov's family, even outside Parshas Vayishlach, there are two camps. There seems to always be two camps. In those two camps, we began um, to learn about, and we first met in last week's Parsha. We met them in Parshas Vayetze. There are two camps because Yaakov has really four wives, but two main wives, Rachel and Leah. And most of the tragedies that seem to take place in Parshas Vayishlach revolve around the Leah camp. Think about Dina's capture. Dina is described as the daughter of Leah. Shimon and Levi, whom Yaakov get upset at, or Yaakov gets upset at, they are children of Leah. And when, when Rachel Aminu passes away, which is obviously a Rachel Aminu oriented tragedy, but what happens from that, from that tragedy? Yaakov rearranges his, his beds in the tents, and then Reuven comes along, and then he interferes, and then he rearranges the, the, the beds in the tents in the way that he sees fit. And Ruvain's act of rebellion is clearly coming from the side of the Leah camp. So Yaakov has all, a bunch of uh, things that are going on in his life, and they're all pretty frustrating. And what's interesting is that Yaakov obviously is experiencing a lot of anguish over all of these things, but they all seem to pale in comparison to what happens in next week's Parsha, with Mechiris Yosef. Now, Yaakov has two wives, and it wasn't based on his own doing. We know that he has two wives because Lavan's tricks. The only reason he's married to two wives, the only reason there's this strife in Yaakov's family, because Lavan you know, planted the seeds for that by selling his daughters away like that and making them co-wives and rival wives to be married to Yaakov. This we all explained as the, you know, the Pashtapshah reason for Yaakov's marriages. But of course, we know that, when, um, that where there's a Pshat explanation, last week we presented an elaborate meta or drash explanation to Yaakov's marriages and Yaakov's family and the unique um, complexities of the family. And in that regard we explained that Yaakov was destined to be married to both Rachel and to Leah, and it was because Yaakov was wearing two hats. Yaakov had to fulfill the mission of both his own and the mission of Esav, right? When Esav um, was assumed to have failed and dropped the ball on his mission, Yaakov had to go out into the world and not only be a man of the tent, but also be a man of the fields. 
and Yaakov therefore had to marry both Rachel and Leah. It wasn't Yaakov's original plan. In fact, if Yaakov had everything his way, he would have never married Leah. He would have only married Rachel. But of course, Rachel seems to always be out of his reach. And you know, every time he wants Rachel, he seems to be handed Leah. And that is a cause of not just tension for Yaakov Avinu, but for Yaakov Avinu's entire family. It creates a tension between Rachel and Leah, and certainly between all of the children. And we see the seeds starting to bud in Vayishlach, because again, Yaakov is obviously upset about what happens to Dina, but not upset enough, perhaps, to approve of the actions of Shimon and Levi. He's, uh, you know, and he's very, he's, Yaakov is very alarmed by what happens to Yosef later in Vayeshev. In the meantime, Yaakov, you know, if you hear Shimon and Levi's response to Yaakov, they, they, they say, this, you want our, our sister to be a Zona? And it's interesting they don't say it's your daughter. They say it's our sister. As almost as if to say, like, I don't know how you feel about this, but we're upset. And you get that feeling from Ruvain too, when Ruvain commits his misdeed. Why is all of this happening? It's because Yaakov has to deal with the ace of mission too. Yaakov has to deal with both the Rachel and the Leah. Yaakov has to deal with both the Yaakov and the Esav. And this, I think, gives more significance to Yaakov's battle with the angel. Right? Because we said that the battle that we were expecting was Yaakov versus Ace of the Human. We don't get Yaakov versus Ace of the Human. In fact, Yaakov and Ace of the Human, they seem to finish off on quite swell terms. They're doing well. They hug it out. And even you know, you know, even though there's a midrash that says that Asa really wanted to bite him, you know, we have a pasha pshat in, in the story. And even Rav Shimon Bar the other opinion is that even though Asa hates Yaakov in his essence, but that moment everything was great. He meant it with his full heart when he when he kissed Yaakov. And they part ways, and we don't see a battle taking place between Yaakov and Asa the human. And the reason why we do not is because. Ace of the human, at this point, is the least of Yaakov's problems. What is Yaakov's problem? What is the battle that Yaakov has to fight? It's the fight not against Esav, but the Sarshal Esav, the angel, the phantom Esav. What do I mean the phantom Esav? It's the spiritual essence of Esav. There is a certain, there, there, there is a certain mida, there is a certain energy, a certain element, and a certain anguish, a thorn in Yaakov's side, and that is the ace of personality, and that's going to stick with Yaakov as long as Yaakov Avinu has to fight the war and fulfill the mission of both Yaakov and Esav, this will always be following Yaakov around, the cloud, the phantom of Esav. That manifests itself in all of the strife that Yaakov experiences. Right, we said that um, and this came up in, um, in the Real Talk Torah when my brother and I spoke about Yaakov's quote-unquote lie, where the, the, the shir is titled Confronting Yaakov's Lie. And uh, we quoted the, the Zayisran on B'Shem the Gra um, about um, a lie kilascha b'ni. Rivka says that the curse will be upon me. But of course, the, um, the, the Gra says that a lie is a reference to the times that Yaakov later will say that all of these things came upon me, a lie. A lie is Esav 
right? That's it's ayin lamid yod esav lavan yosef. So what do we have here? Whether Yaakov experienced a lot of tragedies, why are we just mentioning Esav, Lavan, and Yosef? Right, this week's parsha. There's so many different tragedies. There's Shem Dino. There's Ruvain Bilha. We don't have these listed as the tragedies. I think the reason we do not is because all of these are Esav. These are all in the Esav camp. And in the Esav camp, what happens is even if you're not fighting with physical Esav, you're fighting with spiritual Esav. You're fighting with strife. You are fighting with deceit. You are fighting with all the negative midas that might affect Klal Yisrael. These are all outgrowths of Yaakov's battle with the angel. Yaakov wins maybe one battle with the angel, but is the phantom ace of gone? I think the phantom ace of continues to live on, and it continues to plague Yaakov Avinu. And this is something that Yaakov Avinu has to cope with. It's something that we have to cope with. It's part of who we are. That we, we, have, we, we all carry the dual mission of Yaakov Avinu. And we're going to see that Yaakov Avinu has all sorts of problems happening to, in his life, coming from all sides. Next week, we're going to see what happens when, when um, a Ben Rachel is at risk. But in the meantime, what we are witnessing in Vayishlach is the phantom Esav affecting Yaakov Avinu. We're about to sign off of Esav. But you have to realize that it's still there. And it might be the reason why Yaakov is experiencing all he's experiencing. Because again, the only reason he's married to Leah in the first place is because Esav is not. That's the meta reason. So Yaakov fulfilling both of these missions. We are now seeing that on the larger map of the Torah, Vayishlach represents that when we have Yaakov Avinu, the nation of Yaakov Avinu, who is the conduit through which the entire world will receive blessing, Part of being that nation means fending off the spiritual essence of Esav while fulfilling the mission of Esav. Right? Yaakov Avinu has to learn to do both. That Yaakov is going to do the spiritual battles, but he's going to do the physical material battles too. And the, what that means is that Yaakov has to be you know, the pure, innocent Yaakov Avinu, but he also has to know how to navigate in an Esav-like world. And part of that means to fulfill the mission of Esav while not being infected by the spiritual essence of Esav. That's what our mission is as Klan Yisrael, and I think that is what's happening in Parshas Vayishlach. And Bez Hashem, next week we will pick up with the continuation of this meta-story where we see what happens again with Mechiras Yosef and all that that entails. Have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for tuning into the database.